0: Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state of the art sensors and software, repeat successful runs, and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. All right. It's Thursday, 4, 20
1: p.m. Eastern. That means it's time for Office Hours, your source for free cannabis cultivation education. I'm Keisha, one of your co-moderators today, and we missed y'all. I hope the feeling's
0: mutual, right, Mandy? Oh my gosh, I was just about to say that. Oh, we missed you guys. Two weeks off. There's so much going on in the questions right now. Um, But yeah, we're here for episode 57. We're super psyched to be back, Um, but y'all know how we do it. Uh, We're going live over on YouTube momentarily. So if you're logging on with us over there, make sure you get your questions to us and I'll get those to the team. If you're active on social media, make sure you're following us on all the platforms. So we're on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Social Club. But I also heard we have a special guest on the show today, so I won't waste any more time. I'll throw it back to you, Keisha. Thank you, Mandy. Seth and Jason are in the house, in the studio. How are you
1: guys doing? Pretty good. Good. You want to tell us who we have on the show today?
2: We have Anna Wiley, founder and CEO of CAM. Uh, Definitely been a long, long time, great client of ours. And we are very appreciative for her time to be with us today.
3: Oh, thanks guys. Thank you. Thank yes. you for being here. Anna.
4: I, I really appreciate it too. I, it's been, I don't know why we've gone this long without having you on here.
3: I really appreciate it. I'm super excited. I, I tune into you guys and um, there's always great conversations and just having some different perspectives and learning from all the people that you have on here.
1: It's been I. Right. Yeah. We're thrilled to have you. I got my gelato on run. Uh, on the program. Also, just to show that I'm a fan of the brand. I, I haven't tried any for today, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm but Anna, you know, the last time we saw you was when we came to your facility for a case study visit last year. You were just building it out. Give us some updates. What's been going on with you the last year?
3: All right. So we finally finished construction. Um, I would say pretty much on schedule. We got our temporary certificate of occupancy or TCO in January. We also got all our state licenses. We have um, 700 of the 2000 lights filled. Um, We are filling a room every nine days. Um, We have five dry rooms. So we're just working on on our um, our filling schedule, as that occurs, um, like most grow facilities, we're actually still finishing a little bit of construction on the south side of the building. Um, so that's been kind of fun to have our construction crew and our cultivation team all uh, enjoying time together under one house. Being facetious about that, <laughs> but um, we should have our like uh, mechanical final here on the on the south side. But we're we're in it, and we are learning all the trials and tribulations of operating out of a new skid and um and, and going from there
1: so amazing congratulations on that um i would love for we we did do a case study on you, on you i'll drop it in the chat in a minute but let's let's go back in time what is your origin story how'd you get into cultivation
3: Okay, so I have all. i lo- I love weed. I've always been interested in in cannabis. Um, I went. I grew up in New York City. Um, I came to Colorado in 1998. Um, and I did my master's in applied math. And during that period of time, um, I had some really great mentors that, you know, just doing some hobby growing, four lighters, six lighters. Um, I finished out my degree. I started in software as a software engineer um, for many years and kind of did some hobby uh, growing at night, like most people did prior to uh, rules and regulations. Um, I will continue to say you learn a lot about looking at plants. Uh, Commercial cultivation has... I think that there's not that much to share between growing in a home and commercial cultivation because after a while it really becomes you know running teams and running environments. Um, But you know the love of the plant is still there and just needs to transfer. Um, In 2009, Colorado came out with their rules and regulations for legalized cannabis. Um, I took my savings that I had and got a 5,000 square foot Uh, cultivation facility, didn't know anything about building out spaces, except for what I had done in basements. So I basically built eight small basements um, in a uh, 5,000 square foot facility. Um, At that point, also got uh, a medical uh, store um, in in Denver, Colorado, and that's where CAM started in 2009. Um, And it took us about I would say like a year and a half to kind of get up and going. Um, and it just, it's, it was, it was amazing between 2009 and 2015. Um, we grew to, uh, 1140 flowering lights, three cultivation facilities, two stores. Um, I exited out of Colorado in 2016, um, and came to Sacramento and got a 30,000 square foot warehouse here. And that's where Uh, California Artisanal Medicine also known as CAM uh, started in California and it's been it's been a really wild ride from from 2018 to now.
1: Amazing all right well so you're scaling let's talk about that experience let's get into that.
3: All right scaling is hard um You, I will say with just one facility, you really get comfortable with your processes and your people. We do all our own distribution. So I think it's been great to kind of just feel our way through running, uh, 600 lights. Um, when you scale, it's exciting for your team, but it's also really hard. So kind of everything that you were doing on a 500 light facility level, going to 2000 lights, you just basically, you know, you're, you're, you're four or 5 xing it, um, everything changes, uh, from like your holding tanks to the skids you're using. Um, I think that there's a lot of safety and, and we've been using Arroya for three and a half years now. Um, and being able to grow with the technology platform as well has been amazing. Um, and learning how we can utilize the data to our best ability has made us comfortable to, to go into a 2000 light facility. So, Um, every building is different. So we're learning our way around, uh, around this one for sure. Um, everything from having issues with like our internet and how that can affect your repeaters and your environmental controls, um, to, uh, just, you know, software in general and, and that, and then ramping up, you know, people, you know, hiring really fast and, getting teams to work together is has also been challenging but still fun um it's it's been it's been an amazing experience and we're excited to see what what this year kind of holds for us
1: amazing i'm going to keep asking questions but like the team oh, please, go please ahead. feel free to just That's jump okay. in but i want to talk about genetics too like i mean sacramento is definitely on the map here in california um, let's, I have my gelato runs. I also like REM from cam, but yeah, let's, what's, what do you grow? Well, what I will
3: say, I think the the number one thing, at least our strategy for strain selection, this has been super hard for cultivation, which is to, um, what I call grow as many strains as possible and see what sticks. Um, I think that people, which has been, just been wreaks havoc on the cultivation team, because let's just be honest, if you're you want to run something three or four times so you can get data on it and and, and then actually, you know, release it into the world. Um, what we do is we change our menu as if it's literally a restaurant seasonally. Um, so we're bringing in anywhere between 12 and 15 strains. Um, I think the the best thing about scaling is that we're going to be able to running, like run, like almost like 40, 50 cultivars, um, at one time, but still have still only have maybe three strains in a room. Right. So I think that that's the big you know, and, and kind of grouping strains together that, that, that finish that maybe your drybacks are, are similar canopy is similar, um, that, that you have, um, you know, that, that they kind of stop stretching at the same time. And that's kind of hard to do when you're constantly changing your strains. Um, the cannabis market in California is extremely demanding the stores after they've had a strain like three times, they're like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> they want something new right
0: away. So well, let's let's keep talking about the strains that you're seeing out there. What's really popular? What do you see selling?
3: So, we have got like we have a Bubba's girl, like I'm trying to I know I've grown a lot of older strains too, right? Like pre-Bubba 98 and, and, um, sour diesels and, and, and I think that, and OGs, but I think that paired with some of the newer stuff, um, we're growing lots of things from, um, JBZ. We're growing a lot of stuff from no labs. We are, um, uncle dad vibes. He's, he's, they've been putting out a ton of interesting crosses with chauffeur, um, we still have kind of like the stuff that we've been growing for years with Cushman's. I'm really hoping this is the year that, uh, testing is not at the forefront of selling product so that, uh, there's some amazing strains out there that don't test at 30 plus percent TAC. Um, it's hard to grow a lot of those strains because they don't sell at the stores, So Um, we're always, because we do our own sales and distribution, we're always trying to keep all of our retail people in mind.
4: Yeah, I I gotta say, and it's definitely frustrating that you have to go by the market sometimes. And unfortunately for the last couple of years, it has been THC or THCA numbers, right? Which we kind of all know don't necessarily translate to the smoke.
3: Well, my first year in 2018, I came out here with a suitcase of like 19 different OGs let me just tell you, no one wanted them. So, so I had like SFB 92 bio D I mean, just like stuff like really older stuff that was doing great in Colorado. Um, It is kind of cool with our expansion into coming back into some of these states to see what people are still growing. Believe it or not in the Midwest, like everyone still loves blue Dream, super lemon haze, like tangerine haze. It's like, and, and, and a lot of those strains have such great attributes. I mean, they're, um, resistant to a lot of shit. <laughs> so <I'm> sorry, <laughs> but they're resistant to a lot of, um, um, issues that we see with brand new strains, right. Um, here, I, I'm not, I, I mean, we're growing so many versions of runs and LCG. All right. I'm just going to put it out there. All right. We, we are living in the world of candy gas, some weeks, too much gas, some weeks, not enough gas, um or not enough candy i don't know guys <laughs> but it's uh it's been it's been a pretty interesting um uh roller coaster of like what's hot and what's not right um and but but what the beauty of uh of being able to package your product the number one cool thing about having a brand is that you can actually still grow some things that aren't purple <laughs> So yes, I'm growing some (laughs) green weed and I'm packaging some of it and people actually like it. So Georgia pie, Z Skittles, a lot of Z Skittle crosses. Like, um, I still really believe in the fact that, um, it is how it smokes. Right. I mean, I'm Indian I wouldn't say Indian food has the best appeal for looking at it, (laughs) but it tastes good. Right. So um, and it's and and same thing with with uh, cannabis. At the end of the day, it's got to smoke well.
4: Yeah, I think the the purple thing's really interesting because in my experience, purple tends to be a little harsher compared to the same variety not grown to purple up. And uh, I,
3: absolutely, and if they're yeah. not naturally purple, I mean, you're basically just pulling out the humidity and how hard your drybacks can be, and uh, or I mean, when people say they're cooling down a room, they're really just sucking out the humidity. Um, super cold temps retards the plant. Let's just be real yep. with it. No, it slows
4: growth. <laughs> it's That's less reality. growth.
3: It's the reality of it. Um, it, you know, they're definitely when there wasn't this like urge to get to a certain um, grams per, per square foot. I think that people, ne- I, I, what I have seen, though, is that some of these cultivars won't produce as much, which I think is actually might be a good thing. Um, we, we definitely have a little bit of a saturated market, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we need better product, not more of it.
2: So I've got a, a question from the the cultivator side and you, you touched on a little bit on how, um, it is more difficult to, to run that many cultivars and introducing as many as you do. Uh, how do you know how to run a cultivar the first time that you get it going?
3: Okay. So we kind of like, uh, I try to just take it right down the middle, right. Which is, um, not, not. To like super heavy PPFD, not super heavy. Um, you know, we, 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 we have what we have in our rooms. So we're getting the cultivars to fit our room, okay? So, you know, how does it do in our environment? I mean, you know, you'll go over to somebody else's spot or see the end product and be like, oh, this looks great. But then, you know, maybe in your room, depending on your light layout, whether you're five and five and a half, you know, off center or your four and four and a half off center. If you have a 1200 PPFD, a thousand PPFD depending on where you're placing the strain in a room. Um, and, and that is just like luck of the draw. That's what I'm saying. It's super hard because uh, you know, after the first round you'll have sales and sales and sales assist being like, Oh yeah, no one liked that. I'm like, it was the first round or the second round or the third round. Like give me at least like, a year, right? Um, Yeah. Keep telling
4: us why pheno hunts are so hard.
3: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, year and a half, year and a half, at least, at least. And that's if you don't harm out your entire room. So um, there's, there's a lot of that too. So.
4: Oh yeah. I think uh, something I find really important in the industry right now and kind of sum it up here when you're trying to progress strains through really quickly. And that's what the market's demanding these days. Let's be realistic. You know, five, six years ago, everyone wanted to have their 10 or 20 strains that were that our house strains and our specialty, right? Well, lo and behold, it's, it's just like the pre-roll joint market. If you'd asked me five years ago, I would've said that's ah, going nowhere. Well, five years later, what? it's, it's, a the, business number, plan. it's
3: almost the number. One, yeah, it is literally that it's like almost the number one selling thing in, in stores today, because, um, a lot of people aren't rolling joints, right. They're not doing of that stuff. So,
4: Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, for all of us that like enjoyed cannabis before legalization, that seemed like a silly question. Post, you look at like your average consumer effort put in what they want, which is to go to the store, walk away with something to smoke or ingest in some way. That's easier. Right. But I think what this really highlights is, uh, you know, data when you're at scale, when you're trying to produce and keep up with the market, data is equally as important as fertilizer. You know, oh, we can. It,
3: I would say it's more so because yeah. then it's really being able to control your environment um, and all on at a real time over multiple rooms, right? You're not dealing with four or five rooms; you're dealing with like thirty rooms, forty rooms, right? And then, and then also from a dry room perspective, I think the number one thing that I would like to talk about is that post processing. Is just as important as cultivation, like, and, and, and all the tools that you're going to have environmentally in your dry room from top to bottom is, is also super important to monitor and how you're trimming the product, how quickly you can get it to the customer before it gets old.
2: Mm-hmm. So at 30 rooms, how does your team process this data to make good decisions going forward?
3: Uh, well, we're only, well, we're only t- almost 10, so, <laughs> but it will we're be about scaling. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, um, we want to have a lot of organization in who's looking at the data and tons of communication. So I think that that's like a big thing with this many rooms. So the folks that are working in the rooms, making sure that they feel comfortable to be able to tell head kind of cultivation, what's wrong in the room, right? Because there's so many zones, and there's so much, right? So it's just making sure that the folks that are in there defoliating, leaving, um, putting on trellis, I mean that there's tons of communication between between um, the groups.,
1: uh, we have a couple of questions actually that um, folks have submitted asking about your operation. can i can I get those get those going? Um, Bilbo. Is on with us. He asked a couple. I'm going to just like dive right in with this first one. Is there a tried and true cultivar that you are seeing in the 200 and 2000 light shops that is keeping the lights on?
3: No, I wish there was there. I it, you know a lot of times people will say if I just got X right, if I just get RSL love, if I just get this strain, then everybody's gonna right. And I think that it's really about what grows best in your facility and who your customers are, and knowing knowing that. So um, I think it's the turn and having the newness of different strains, um, and then making sure what you're putting into the jar is a decent product every time, um, and that way people. F- Find brand trust, so they're like, okay, well, I'll try something new. Like I usually buy whatever Bubba's Girl or Cushmans or you know, Rem or you know, one of these trains that that's been around for a while. But I'm, but I'm okay to try Manzano Gelato. I'm okay to try Georgia Pie Z Skittles. Right? I'm okay to pot, try something else from this brand because you know, nine times out of ten, it's 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 pretty decent. So. And I like what I'm seeing, right? Four nugs and under, looks good, smells good, tastes good, hits, all those factors.
4: I I think you nailed something, Anna, that I like to tell a lot of clients who I meet that are just starting out in the commercial industry. And that's uh, be be very cautious and protective of your brand because there's so many, you know, in, in any rec market, there hits a point within a year or two where there's so many brands in the store and there's so much strain crossover between brands that, I mean, you're I can't tell you how many different brands of uh, great cannabis that I've encountered, but I I won't here, but I can name a few that I'll never buy again. And I can guarantee those problems came in post-production. It looks okay in the jar, but then you open it, it's too dry or too wet, you know, and you're like, ah, these guys, I don't know, I'm not going to buy it anymore, you know?
3: Yeah. And, and you, you know, even for our quality control team, just to be able to pick up any jar, like what I love is like, Dave, okay, I'm like when you guys came and I just wanted to go and just grab some samples, right. For the Roya team that I didn't have to like go through eight to be like, okay, is this one good? Right. That I collectively pick from seven or eight strains and they're all like pretty decent. And that makes me, that makes me happy. And I know that my team's doing a great job.
4: Well, yeah. And it's a new aspect, right? Cause even, uh, even if we go back to the medical dispensaries, you know, there's a lot of deli style, a lot of like, Hey, we're going to get this bulk product to a point and then deliver it to an end point. Then I don't have to worry about it. They take care packaging, it. It but- somewhere,
3: and It's not, it's not going to come back to me. And so what's interesting is to, you know, be able to understand that you're, you're going to get, you're going to get, you need to take that feedback. You can't, you can't be scared of the feedback, even if it's bad, right. You got to address it. And knowing that like, if you put something bad into the, into the jar, you're going to hear about it and you're going to hear about it from a, you know, weeks on hand inventory from a store, right? Like how long has a product been sitting on the shelf? Why did these string, why did these two strings sit on the shelf longer than everybody else's?
2: Yeah. And the product might not come back to you, but your buyers might not come back as well. Yeah. They
3: might not make another order. You know what I'm saying? And I think Mm -hmm. that's and and, and then you got to have a sales and distribution team. That's going to be talking to those people and making sure if there are strains that are sitting on the shelf or didn't do as well, you're giving the store credit, you're like, you're, you're taking it off the shelf, right? That you're not just going to sit there and be like, well, that's not my problem anymore. Well, you know, that person's not going to come back to buy your product. And that's really the most important thing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, I got another question from Bilbo. I really love these questions he submitted. Cause it really gets to the meat of like, just like doing business. Right. Um, he wrote in being a vertically integrated company. Does your current production capacity outpace your sales in the retail? And if yes, do you sell to other retailers?
3: So with 2000 lights, I can tell you, we'll be doing every type of business, right? We'll be doing white labeling right now. We've been really, really cautious with 600 lights. It's been a perfect, we're in 310 stores. We basically sell out of everything that we're growing. um, But it's not too much to say that we have to package every single one to meet, to meet, you know, to meet our demands. So we, you know, can still sell a little bit of, a little bit of bulk when it's not good enough to put in the jars, And that's okay to say that too here, we're going to have obviously quite a bit more product, but, um, that gives us like the ability to work with tons of other brands. It gives us the ability to make new brands, um, just kind of other parts of the business that we haven't really gotten into. Um, and all this, all these years when everybody was selling bulk, we never really did that. So it'll be kind of fun to go back to selling some, selling some bulk for sure.
4: Capture the market from all angles.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are getting more creative, right? Like I'm hearing, I'm seeing a lot more collaborations between brands. Yeah, it's sure. really special.
3: Yeah, I do too. I do too, and I think that if you just partner with like people that you like working with, um, and I think that's what makes it kind of cool being um, a woman in cannabis. You you know have a little bit of a gentle, more gentle approach, and it's not so you know uh, competitive that you just want to work with people,
1: and and it's a little more you know warm and, um,
3: collaborative.
1: Let me on those lines, being a woman in cannabis, a woman of color in cannabis, let's, let's hear about your journey. This is not the most diverse industry. Um, I wouldn't say
3: that, but I will tell you that my experience has been different and I'm only here to talk about my experience. Um, I have had some amazing, I first of all, most of our cultivation staff isn't male and, and has, and has been, we're, we're working um, actively to kind of bring in more women into that. Um, but I love working with guys and, and, and some of my best friends and my best mentors in cannabis have been men. And I've, I've had a ton of respect. I think it's a lot easier to come from, from someone that already has a ton of experience. And that's probably why I don't, um, experience some of the negative aspects. I I'm sure there is, I'm not trying to, um, deny that there's not you know any of that out there um but my experience has been super super positive and I've been really lucky to work with some great people
1: that says a lot for someone like me I mean I'm looking up to your journey that I'm inspired by your journey so I love it uh, it's for me yeah. it's great to see you walking in authority at the trade shows too yeah, let's, it, let's it just feels good.
3: Back. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: it feels good, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, there's definitely some <laughs> boss fish efforts there.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, I got one more question here from Bilba that I want to ask. Um, he asked, do you have more than one cultivar per irrigation zone?
3: Never, we never do that. That's a t- like, uh, we we have in desperate situations when we have like either have like had an issue with moms or um, or or we're just really just trying to see if something's even gonna like, we have like six st- like six clones of something. Right. But, but, um, we're, we're really trying to do in the 500 light facility two. every strain gets two benches, two zones. Um, so you can kind of see where it's, how it's and how it's kind of living in the middle of the room or at the end of the room, that kind of, that, you know, and having them side by side. Um, but we are trying to keep the same cultivar in each cell.
4: That's why we love working with Anna. We don't have to tell her anything that's uh, normal common sense like that. (laughs) You're awesome too, Bilbo.
3: No, but I I definitely have, um, you know, in my younger years when I was growing in Hyderton, you know, you have like a gajillion different plants, not understanding why that's a bad idea. (laughs) So, um, and what's amazing is that we've set up our skid here um, and we're able to feed by recipe in this warehouse. So that's, that's really cool. All of our irrigation is you can just send a recipe, whatever, whatever you'd like, whether it's three OEC or, or you're, or you're dumbing it down to two five. Um, we don't, we don't believe in flush here. So, um, we'll go from there.
1: <laughs> Jason, so happy.
3: <laughs> I not believe in, uh, you know, I, I like, I like, I like big girls and I like to feed my women a lot of food Who wants to starve <laughs> people out guys. I'm in the business of feeding. Yeah,
4: <laughs> well, I think we talked about earlier that post-production there's nothing more disappointing than doing yeah, a hard flush and then it's seeing just, your I mean, stuff mold in the dry room. Right. You're like, yeah, my, well, my
3: whole thing is like, you're just basically, it's like, okay, well it's, I call it a cannibalistic approach. <laughs> like you know they believe me though i i i know a ton of people that are still going to zero and feeding literally water at the end and i'm like well you're literally cannibalizing the the plant's going to start eating itself mm-hmm. you know what do i know <laughs>
4: Well, it just takes a few times, I think, of going. In. And that's where we see, I think, a lot of uh, as as scaling progresses in the industry, there's a big uh, disconnection between different departments. You know, some people have their prop and veg department that takes care of their moms and clones and veg. Then the flower departments, that's its own cultivation crew. And then they pass off right away to post production. So sometimes you have a disconnect where post production's pulling this stuff down. They notice it's molding. They just blame the cultivators, the cultivators blame the post-production. You're like, all right, guys, we need to have like a little crossover here. So we all understand what's going on and then get to the root of the problem.
3: Yeah, we do that. And we have like, I mean, we do some very basic stuff where we have like our head of post-processing, uh, make sure that they include a lot of folks in cultivation to talk about what's going on in post-processing, um, mm-hmm. literally on a day-by-day basis for trimming. We have trim logs that everybody has access to so they can, you know, it's just more of like an open open door policy for our company so that everyone can see. It's not this like secret, like what was, what came out of this room? We want everybody to know, right? Um, um and say how can we make it better right we had some issues let's try let's try more and uh and that's the, the beauty of what we get out of Aroya is that not only there's like there's some task schedule management but there's also just being able to look back we just recently looked back at at like hey we've seen this this maybe one issue occurring over the last couple of harvests let's look last year Look, let's look year over year. What changed year over year, right? Okay, you know, obviously we have issues with the environment, with the actual building. Um, just loving those roof leaks <laughs> that everyone's going through, but that's why it's exciting to have a new facility too. There's nothing, there's nothing like a brand new car.
4: Well, nice. I definitely got to say, and I've learned over this winter that they don't build very watertight roofs in California.
3: No, none. They just like, I might as well just be. I'm like, oh, now I'm outdoor facility
4: <laughs> no,
3: testing
2: for mold resistance.
3: It sucks.
2: <laughs> I just kind of wanted to reiterate. I mean, obviously, I came into cultivation from uh, more technical data aspect. And so, obviously, it's easy to get along with you because that's how you kind of have your background going. And, uh, I, you know, you guys were one of the fastest up and running as far as using Arroyo and, uh, tailoring and your crop steering and stuff. So huge applause there, but, um, using data as a a common platform for communication, it drives accountability. It makes it way easier for us to communicate across silos and, 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 do the breakdown of, Hey, you know, I did my part in this case. Here's, here's the proof in the pudding.
3: Absolutely. And, and with a facility, the size we have, like, we have an entire mechanical team. So that just works on HVAC all day. I mean, uh, the, the cultivator is only going to be as, I mean, they, what are you going to do? If you have two AC, two out of four ACs that are out, your room's not going to dehumidify if you're at 70%, right? So yeah.
4: Yeah. And I will say Jason had the opportunity to work at a place I was just getting started up and I would say generally understaffed in cultivation and maintenance. So if you're at a successful place, you might not get the opportunity to experience clone to jar. Uh, in one spot and also have to fix the pumps, fix the HVAC, you know, yeah, make or, sure lights or turn on.
3: Make it, yeah. Making sure that your pumps aren't running dry, yep. all that. Make sure you you make sure your ground fossils are primed. We're, we're, believe me, we're dealing with all of that. And then some, and then just, um, uh, making sure that the tasks are delegated properly, because there's a lot of that, like, oh, I thought you were going to get that. Are you not <laughs> getting that? So, um, um, and, and that's also a testament to our team of how everybody gets along, so I think that if you have like the end goal is not like this blame factory of like it's not my fault, right, or mm-hmm. it is my fault where everybody feels um that they have responsibility to grow the best product that they can um it really, it really helps when you have issues, everybody kind of bands together and like, we got to, we got, we have to make it work and we're going to make it work together. So um, that being said, the number one thing I said: take care of the people, like, you know, pay your people, take care of your people, make sure you're tr- whatever, whatever money you are making, make sure you spend it on your people. Yeah,
2: and I actually bring this back to an antidote that connects people and making the right maintenance decisions was, um, you know, using data. Uh, a couple times we'd always have issues with the lights forgetting to be turned back on in the bedroom after IPM. And, uh, you know, it was actually just a specific person that needed to be talked to, not the entire IP team or IPM team that needed to be addressed. It's like, all right, well... 90% of our teams doing a great job and this one person we just got to take their keys when they go into the IP, IPM uh, mode and and make sure that they don't turn they do turn the lights back on until they yeah. get their keys back.
3: Yeah. That's 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 a perfect way to do it and then also maybe um, when you have a couple folks on the team that are doing something wrong, I think it's it's good to take them aside and then also kind of make like a process rule right we're not blaming anyone specifically but saying putting out kind of a blanket statement of hey guys let's let's try like you know the number one thing that, that our facility decides is cleaning, right? Just everybody needs to clean their space and take 15, 20 minutes out of the day to do that. And, and usually it's like one or two folks that don't do it and leave it for the next person in the morning. Um, so we kind of like, we'll try to sometimes switch up AM people versus, you know, have shifts, right? So then they'll start to realize if they don't do their cleanup or do their tasks or finish their tasks at night, guess who that leaves it to? The morning person, and that kind of stakes for the morning person. So um, if you're able to do both parts of the job, um, it's it's really helpful to understand where the other person's coming from and what you're leaving them with.
4: Oh, yeah, a little, just a little bit of sympathy there. <laughs> where you're yeah. like, little, okay, little, now little, I know what little, it
3: feels more like. A little more empathetic action for sure.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that communication's super critical. And uh, it's definitely one thing I think a lot of people struggle with as they scale out because, you know, we're going from a, a smaller passion project to this factory, essentially, like you, you nailed it with, uh, saying how, you know, for you, it went from cultivation to managing people. And I, I can't yeah, tell you it, how many times it, I've heard people that
3: People and environment and tasks. And maybe since I love people, it's been like a, a totally fine, um, transition. And, but I, I mean, I, I still get my time with plants and, and walk zones, but you have to, you have to let things go. And, um, to answer one of the questions of just how do you how do you cultivate or create new talent, you wanna make it into a buddy system. You wanna make sure that people have upward mobility and you're talking to all your team members and getting buy-in with new processes. So if there is a new process, you actually go to the people that are gonna be doing the work, see how they feel about it, get their buy-in. Sometimes it takes longer and it's and get their feedback even if we don't go with like their version of the process, telling them why that it's not going to work out that way.
1: Just communication. So many good lessons. Um, Anna. we are getting a lot of questions specific to your operations. So we're going to get to those in just one minute, but I would love to just hear like what's happening in the future. What can we look forward to? You've already won some awards. What's happening next?
3: We're, um, we're, our main thing is just to get this operational and not grow mids. So one, um, we, uh, that's our main
1: goal. As a California uh, consumer thinking.
3: <laughs> you don't
4: usually grow meds just so people yeah, know. No, I haven't seen no, any. No,
3: but to just not, not to like to actually bring what we have been able to perfect in a 500 letter to a 2000 light facility. Uh, that's first and foremost and getting there with a team that is happy and healthy and making sure that our legacy team that has been with me for like a long period of time really feels the benefits of scale. How about that? That's kind of like our main goal and to kind of just survive 2023. I know a lot of businesses are having a hard time um, being able to work with the folks that we think are going to be here next year, being a good retail, like being a good uh, vendor to retail partners. Um, We're looking forward to the Emerald Cup. We're looking forward to Hall of Flowers. Um, We even are looking forward to everybody's non-favorite cannabis holiday of 420, (laughs) which for people that are growing weed is like, when will it end? So, um, and, and, and just trying our hand at, at the, at the other business aspects of, of a large scale facility too. We're super
0: excited.
1: We're excited for you, Anna. Congratulations. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. I've
0: been writing everything down. Oh my gosh. There's just so much to learn from you. That's it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we have a ton of questions that are coming in over on YouTube, so I can go ahead and jump into those. Let's do it. Uh, Yeah, sweet. Um, Just real quickly, we did put a little quiz over on YouTube. What's the biggest expense in your operations? The answers were power, utilities, staff, and headcount, and facilities. And power and utilities costs a lot, you guys. 86% said that was the biggest expense for you guys. And then facilities was second with 14%. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, So yeah, jumping into the questions over on YouTube, Zachary wants to know, Anna, how large of a mom room do you have? Um,
3: so for 2000, uh, lights, we have a 4,000 square foot, uh, mom room and a double decker veg. So so about 30%. So about 30%. So whatever facility size you have, we try to scale for about 30% because we're growing so many different strains.
4: So I have, I have a real question here about that. Um, what, what do you think is coming in terms of tissue culture libraries? And is that something you guys are leaning towards hard?
3: Uh, we think so. We right. think that that's like a huge, like of like just either getting all of your cuts from someplace that has TC. I mean, every time we get, um, we obviously make our own moms and take our own cuts. But when we do go out and buy new strains, we're getting them from a TC from, and, and we noticed how different, how much healthier uh, those, those strains are. So,
4: right. And allowing you to have a kind of a.
3: Just more mom space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nowhere, nowhere else in agriculture does someone do top to bottom end. I hope everybody knows that. Like, so in regular ag, there's just places that make teens and there's places Mm -hmm. in China that make cuts or that, or that make uh, starters. Okay. And then there's entire facilities that actually finish out the end product. So um, I think that we'll move to that eventually, but for right now, it's kind of cool to be able to do it all. I don't know if that will be the business model moving in the future.
4: You know, as much as I thought it'd be more like standard egg, like let's just say apples or pears or something, you know, where you're buying these scions from someone else that's got their genetic orchard yep. and you've got your production orchard, um, At first I thought, Hey, we're going to head that way with nurseries, but I think there might be a really big future in companies like yours that are hitting a point where it's like, Hey, we're starting to be able to justify approaching doing this on our own rather than having a different business that contracts with all these other businesses. We can spearhead that because I've seen a lot of, uh, made a lot of rough startups in the nursery field over the last few years. It's been yeah, difficult and then for people. also
3: just I mean, just think about it. If they don't sell these clones and it gets past three weeks, four weeks, what do you do? It's just a loss and you don't want to give somebody four, mm-hmm. week, five week old clones. But you're like, at that point, you're like, well, I got to feed these, like, you know, I don't know, seven to 10 human beings that are here. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, like, you know, back and forth of like, what's, what's appropriate and how long you can keep starts going. It's tough. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, I'm building up a client base. That's uh, if you're a, a cut producer, building up a client base to buy all those clones in the right time on contracts, so you're not backed up, and that's tough right now. A lot of people, um, especially coming out of like the medical days, it was kind of more of a like, I order clones when I need them, right?
3: And hopefully, exactly. And a- there's no rhyme and reason. So for nurseries, they're like, great, this client's ordering 10k for X amount of time, right? And then mm-hmm. nothing.
4: Exactly. It's, you know, and part of it, I think, is going to be moving forward, being able to really speed up bringing in different cultivars, evaluating them and adding them to your library.
0: This is the reality of running a can of business. Awesome. I'm going to keep going down our list. Thank you for that, Anna. I think this is also directed toward you, Anna. Diane wants to know. Jason, Seth, Ramsey, and Josh recommend defoliating, they're putting you guys on the spot, five to seven leaves per plant. What's your opinion on that, Anna?
3: Um, well, I think it just, it depends on how many plants you have per in your room. So depends on what your, what your square footage is. Like we try to run a really low plant count Um, so that means you're you're having more light hitting the plant so maybe a little less defoliation because it has more room if you have 10 or 16 plants underneath the light you're going to be doing probably a little more cleanup Um, depends on what kind of buds you're looking for if you're looking for a lot of pre-roll type activities you're going to want more bee buds both jason and i constantly get the question strangely enough of how do i grow more bee buds it's pretty strange um (laughs) uh, so there's there's a there's a a lot of ways to skin a cat but I think that there's that, that's that's a that's a good way to look at it is to is to take some some foliage off but some people believe in heavy defoliation I think that um we we do we we try not at this scale because we have so so many plants we're we're trying to decrease labor and and do less defoliation than ever
0: so a couple of considerations to keep in mind um, I think this is a general crop steering question so I'll just throw this one out there Grateful grateful wants to know, what are your opinions of the Canatrol machine?
3: Canatrol. I'm not super familiar with that.
0: Okay. Thanks, Uh, guys.
3: C-A-N-N-A-T-R-O-L. I I literally would have to Google that. I'm sorry. Jason's going to
4: Google it right now. We'll see what happens. I I am not familiar with it. I'll be honest.
3: Okay. Well, move I, on I have. Let me tell you, there's a million things I don't know, so I'm so quick to be like, I don't know. It's totally fine. Cannabis dry
2: and cure vapor technology. Mmm. Lock in your terpenes. Reduce your labor. They're selling me right from their web page. Yeah, this all looks really nice to me. So it looks like a,
4: uh, yeah, a drying monitor monitoring system or an all-in-one box. Oh, More different. like, yeah. I, I think something like that's great. It might be somewhat expensive to scale up, but it also looks like they really try to offer the total grow room control package. Um, whether the name Canatrol or having it built out custom by someone else is a huge difference. I couldn't tell you um, if they want to reach out and talk to us more. <laughs> I'd be happy to rate it. It looks like a pretty decent product though.
3: All right. I just think think having a box where you're putting plants into, it have to be a much smaller scale. I mean, we have 1500 square foot um, rooms to dry and that's for 104 light rooms. So I'm not sure if that would really work that easily for a facility the size, but I'm not, I'm not saying anything good or bad about it. Just say Diana,
4: they had everything from little cabinets all the way up to walk-in freezer status. So yeah. looks like that's their specialty. I would check them out. Okay. They probably have All some right. we'll good technology. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to price point too, with some of this yes, stuff. I mean, a
3: lot of pr- and then, and then we do a ton of that evaluating like new technologies and, and if it's worth it. And so, um, obviously that's the other, uh, thing about, um, Arroyo and they, they, they have a subscription fee, but every year we see new, um, types of technology. And I'm super excited, um, to see all the new things that you guys are coming out with on, on kind of growing the plant digitally and just, just all the enhancements made to Arroyo that we currently use now. It's oh yeah. Pretty- and
4: even in this post-production, if you're trying out something like you're thinking about going with Canicrol, one of the best things you can do is be an Arroyo customer and have access to all these sensors.
3: Yeah. Water activity and I have yeah. all the sensors and just, and then, and then, I mean, we just recently tried out cure tubs and Um, had everybody on our team kind of try out what the product was before and after, you know, some, some of the strains made a difference. Some didn't. We, Mm -hmm. you know, it it takes a long time to make an evaluation if we want a product. And, um, I think that every company should take that approach and talk to as many people as they can that is currently using the product and seeing what their, what their experience is with it. And I think that that's been really cool for Roya because you just call five people and they're like, yeah, it's great. It's changed the way I've grown period. Hands down.
4: Well, one thing I'll say with the cure side of it, too. Um, and this relates to a few other things in the cannabis industry, but even though we're coming out of the dark ages, or whatever you want to call it with cannabis plant science, there still are a few tried and true things that pe- tried and true things that people have came to the conclusion of over many, many years in growth many cycles, yeah. Many,
3: many years yeah so like yeah. in the
4: drying space, one of the funny things I see is like, speed up your curing time, and I'm like.
3: Bad I don't idea. know about
4: that. Yeah. No, like,
3: yeah. The chlorophyll is not going to leave the place. I mean, it's just not a good idea. So just take your two weeks, it's going to be fine. Do your 60 down 60, it's going to be fine. Exactly.
4: So, like, you know, just I don't see anything on the Canitrol website, but anytime you're looking at things like that, just look out for the snake oil. You know, if something, someone promises you something that seems too good to be true, like cut to jar in 16 days. Uh, question that. <laughs> don't, don't immediately jump in and do something that seems too good to be true and risk your business on that piece of equipment.
2: It also comes back to, you know, what people call the the green tax for uh, a lot of the stuff that's marketed specifically to cannabis. I mean, there's been drying rooms for all types of products, meats and cheeses and, uh, you know, really thing anything that's that's processed in a similar manner
3: alcohol barrel yeah. all sorts of things yep
2: and so it just kind of comes down to hey can we work with someone um that is experienced enough in the traditional usage of this type of equipment whether it be hvac stuff or any of that and and a lot of times they'll have uh more knowledge maybe not specifically to cannabis but but the best ones are, are can understand the needs of this specific application and and usually apply you know 20, 30 years of history working in that industry to, to what we're doing in cannabis now.
4: Oh, absolutely. Just on the dry side, if you have enough experience modulating dry rooms with uh, let's just say food, and you've had the opportunity to work in several different industries where you're dealing with different particle size, different densities and stuff, you might be able to control that dry room to a a degree that other people just can't. I mean, the,
3: the number one thing that we've seen is that it's just, it's just, is that the size of your plants and the degrees of difference of drying from the top like we have a pulley system it's pretty cool so um what you're you know what you're seeing from the very top what the plants are hanging up on the top and what 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 is the middle and the end so um and just different drying drying times there so it also depends on when you trim cuz nobody wants to trim wet weed looks
4: awful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and just like you're saying, you guys have a pulley system. All right. Do we have to go in there and rotate to different parts of the room? You know, I mean, there's, it's just the little things like that, that you really got to key in.
3: We actually have bigger rotator wheels this, this time around so that we can actually, so they're not every time you pull it a bunch of like plants fall off or they're touching each other. So, um, we've lived and learned with our drive (laughs) rooms on building them. Um, and we we see a lot of that. We see a lot of that. We're, we're we're just trying to enhance. Like, hey, this works, but but it could be different. This could be different.
4: Yep, and and everything can always be better. If you're yeah. if you're someone who's like trying to rest on their laurels and say like my setup is perfect, like. No. Let's walk through. In 10 minutes, we'll find something that's broken or some piece Absolutely. of equipment and, that's and, out and of the
3: I was just I was just I mean, Jason knows this that there there really are these cultivation facilities are a labor of love because they can be money pits, but you do have to continuously maintain your space. So you have to set part of your budget, that list of things that are super expensive, I would say after being in a building for three or four years, it's the maintenance and, and having to replace tons of ACs and, and, and dehumidification, um, in your space every couple of years.
4: Yep. And that's just real, right? None of that equipment's going to last much longer than that. So now your that you figured out the, the duty cycle, oils,
3: all that eventually, yep. especially up in NorCal, you're going to have to replace some shit.
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. Those compressors only have a a limited lifespan before they're totally worn out.
3: For sure.
2: And, you know, honestly, in, in some of the best designs, um, most cost effective way to get up and running is to push equipment pretty close to its limit. Um, so, so many of these places that I see, Hey, we're, we're operating at max capacity of this device. So it's lifespan is going to be as short as anything in that implementation.
3: Also 90% of us have comfort coolings. Uh, comfort cooling is supposed to be on like 20% of the time, not 24 hours a day, running it to its max and then heating Mm. up a room and cooling it down. So, so whatever, like, you know, lifespan of, a of you know, of train or carrier, you know, take that five to six years and cut it down to two and a half. And you're, you're going to be looking at replacing parts and replacing motors and condensers, no matter what you do. It's just as part of part of it.
4: Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think that was the hardest part for some people to swallow getting into this industry <laughs> is the the long-term maintenance, you know, everyone for years long-term. was so locked into short-term like, Hey, we'll be in this building for a little while that we're probably gonna have to move.
3: Thanks for like all the other like ag and like there's grant there's, I mean, there's so many different types of like non-recourse financing that allows you to do all that type of work. Mm-hmm. And we don't get any of that. We're just like, How's your last round, last round do? Well, now we can fix a bunch of more ACs.
4: Yeah. Let me know when you want to go veggies in your backyard, we'll
3: get you some grants (laughs) and stuff.
1: Awesome. All right. We have quite a few crop sharing questions, cultivation questions coming in. Um, I'm going to change our focus for a second because we had someone share their graph with us and they're just looking for a little bit of help um, at what they're looking at. So in addition to Seth and Jason being able to chime in, Anna, we would love to, if you have any thoughts, let's let's, let's help this person out.
3: Let's all look at this graph.
1: Let's look at this graph. So Moby Dill sent in a picture of the graph and wrote, this is the 24-hour graph for the room I just posted. This would be day 20 going into 21. I'm in Charquare blocks. My input pH is 5.9 and my EC is 2.6. What is your opinion and what could I be doing better? To do a screen share in a second. Yeah, let's see that graph. Let's take a look.
3: um yeah do you want me to jump on and share screenshot from from
2: my screen here
1: if you can yeah yeah. I can also do, yeah let me know
2: i can do that real quick let me just Thanks, blow it up so people can see what we're talking about i'll it's do good. what i can
4: of course now it's going to be way over there and not right there so i'll squint again
3: so they're in day 20. they're probably just thinking about they're probably just done with stretch they probably got some bud set they're probably thinking about just going into vegetative
4: yeah. I mean, that's, that's the first spot to start is, uh, you know, if you haven't been tracking the stretch on your plant, like, is it done stretching yeah. yet? You know, is it that's, done?
3: Are you sure you want to go into a vegetative feed? To, to yeah.
4: And then, uh, to me, it looks like you might, let's see, there's a little bit of glare, but it looks like we're just looking at like a little over All 24 right. hours there. Like One day, yeah.
3: Max water content. They're getting, they're getting some pretty decent dry back.
4: Mm-hmm looks like you have big plants in a one gallon pot if you're in the checkers, if I had to guess, but it looks like you're doing everything you can to maintain a generative steer. And um, we can't really see the EC values too well based on that, can we?
3: Um, We're at ECs of three, five, seven and a uh, little bit of spikes on ECs, but nothing too crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I see here too is just a, a little bit um, less re- or less regular irrigations than we're used to seeing. Um, like I said, it is hard to judge that based on the time timeframe. Um, but typically I'm going to see, you know, P1 events getting close to field capacity and then P2 is maintaining that a little bit more. Yeah. I
3: don't um, see any P I don't see any I don't see any P two. Oh, well, I do on the second. There's, there's a maintenance day, like shot. The second day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some
4: maintenance there to try to keep it from over drying. That's yeah,
3: right there. There's your, yep. There's yeah. your, uh, your P two right there. Catching it kind of midday.
4: Yeah. So if your plants are done stretching, start applying some more P twos. Uh, you know, one of the key things is when we're switching over into bulking, we're trying to maximize the number of small irrigations in the day. And how many of those we apply will actually kind of be strain dependent, right? That's a little bit experimental. So part of it is like, let's look at adding P twos and then seeing what's your, what your P one program is, are you on three P ones, four P ones, or are we going to cut those in half and double the number, make it into eight P ones to really maximize that bulking, but let's make sure it's done stretching before we do that and send it into a revenge situation.
1: (laughs) I can't tell you how much I loved watching the three of you analyze all of that together. It just felt really special. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for sharing your screen with us and yeah. like, shout out to all the Arroyo. Um, One last
2: I, thing I yeah. might be nitpicky just, uh, and it depends on strain all the time, but in this case I would probably go for a little bit higher EC. Um, yes, it depends a little bit on what part of the flower cycle that we're looking at. Are we looking at, you know, generative, um, First few yeah, weeks, yeah, about like 910. That's what I was Yep, a little um, higher EC for you know, sure. Down there at less than feed EC that we usually recommend. So I can see nominally here we're floating at um two, is that, uh, about is there, about three. So most situations, um, you know, nominal EC if we're in vegetative will be about one to two EC higher than our feed EC just from some salt buildup in there so typically when I'm looking at uh you know vegetative growth mid-cycle well I'll usually shoot for anywhere between say four and eight EC um so a lot of times we'll see that EC actually still climbing in a a really um accelerated growth uh, of a plant so um yeah yeah, one thing I'd like to highlight here too, you know,
4: we're talking about running higher EC, which Anna's pointed out is is fairly important. You want to feed your plants and it, it definitely contributes to quality. I think we can all say that over running super low EC versus higher EC runs. Um, that being said, cutting runoff and trying to ramp your EC up starting at week three here is going to lead to problems. This is something we want to treat early on and work on that ramp up. So at this point, we're sitting more in that four or five to eight or nine region, you know, and, and one thing I find that helps a lot of people out is start monitoring your veg. You know, I mean, the, the tendency, right. Is to put sensors in your flower room. Cause that's where you make the money, but if you can't get your EC up in veg, it's going to be really difficult to get that to stack and also maintain a proper pH as you're stacking that up.
3: Yeah. And if you're in LEDs, like we are in, in veg, it does like a higher EC. They're just, they're greedier and hungrier.
4: Oh yeah. And the funny thing about LEDs that I found is a lot of people are finding that your margin for error on maintaining your environment is actually quite a bit lower. Like it's really, it's a lot easier to mess it up with LEDs.
3: Yeah. Yes. Much easier. Exactly.
1: So Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for running. Thanks y'all for running through that. All right. Scott dropped a question in the chat here. I want to ask, what is the best size cocoa pot and rock wool size for crop steering four plants per light?
2: I mean, so for cocoa, I mean, my favorites between one and two gallons, um, if I'm growing a really big plant, I'll be definitely in a two gallon, uh, so that I can maintain crop steering and, and get that generative going. Um, you know, if I'm in a, in a double tier or I'm just doing short squatty plants, I can, I can usually get away with a, a one gallon. Um, that being said for rock wool, slabs are my favorite pretty much all around. Yep. I'm um, on four
3: cubes on slabs.
2: Yeah. And that those four inch cubes are awesome because we can accelerate how quickly we're getting vigor in the plants during our, our vegetative growth or eighteen-six um, early veg uh, before we flip to flower. And, and then that, that transplant's pretty simple. Just the process that it works out with, we can set up the room with slabs, hydrate them um, and then get things uh, get those plants in onto there uh, when we're ready to flip is it's a nice smooth transition. Um that being said, there are some cocoa slabs out there these days that I haven't had too much opportunity to explore.
4: Um, yeah, I want to start playing with some of those and see what they're like. I can't imagine they will be all that different than rockwool, just cocoa in a more convenient packaging.
3: Yeah, um, I guess so.
4: I mean, one thing I would look at, honestly, though, if you're at four plants per light is probably jumping up to about nine. You know, three plants per slab, three slabs per light is a wonderful three setup. Slabs
3: per light, yep.
4: Super easy. And generally, if we're looking at going four plants for per light, that's going to be putting me at like a four week, five week veg time to get them big enough so I can actually fill up that canopy space. Not to mention, um, you know, I'll put it in perspective. I might run four plants at home because I like to get in there and touch them and train them and have fun. But on a commercial scale, you know, like we were talking before, Anna, you highlighted this. We're talking about defoliation, leafing and stuff. Every time we touch the plant, we're losing money. So
3: Yeah, we are. You know, <laughs> yeah, we so we, we gotta
4: balance yeah. that. I mean, absolute yield isn't everything if it still costs you twelve hundred dollars a pound to produce, right?
3: That's right. And I think I think just knowing your cogs, um, whatever they are, is super important. I think people are almost scared of that number and just hoping that they get a higher price than whatever money mm-hmm. they have left just have to know those cogs and just learn how to get like a little more efficient. Um, and, um, that way you can, you can make your dollar stretch.
4: Absolutely. Well, and there's a yeah. point of diminishing returns on all of this. Like yeah, I said, once we, sure. we can
3: yeah, supplement yeah. so
4: much money, spend so much money on labor on inputs, but yeah. you know. And then especially
3: go- at the beginning, just what, like minimizing your burn rate, if you are starting up and, and knowing what the numbers are and that will give you some, ways to sleep at night of knowing what your burn rate is and especially in this economy right now. Um and even though cannabis is like, you know, we're we're experiencing some like ups and downs, um what I will say is an amazing time for people to find a way to the top much easier because there might be less of us competing in the space.
2: Yeah, and th- those cogs are a very serious thing. They're one of the things that you can control um, and that's how you keep your future in business Uh, basically what's happening in so much of this market sure are are selling our distributions controlling what type of strains that uh they're purchasing from us to some degree they're controlling what price that we have to sell it to them at so that they can get it off the shelf um and and i've seen it so many times to this point where uh, a brand doesn't they don't correlate their cogs with their brand image if i'm uh uh, a craft company um then i need to realize what my cogs can be limited to just because i'm craft doesn't mean that i can spend eight nine hundred dollars pound in creation of, of product in the long run it just doesn't work out when when the market starts to stabilize uh, maybe you know years ago that was okay but but at this point you have to understand all right for craft growing i can be at this price for uh, cogs on and it costs a good sold on a pound um, if i have a little bit lower tier product or i have different distribution channels then i may not be able to make it at the cogs that I met.
3: Exactly. And that's okay too, because you'll have, there's, there's product for, for lots of different tiers and lots of different price points. You just have to know what yours are.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I will never say that 10 years ago, people buying, you know, six, eight part nutrient systems that were hundred to $150 oh, right for two really? lights. You know, you were making money then it what? worked out, right? Up-
3: a house and garden four for like a very <laughs> really long time. No problem saying that. Like, what else did I try? Bloom, 18 parts, loved it. Didn't get enough, <laughs> didn't get enough of like, ooh, more yellow bottles, but-
2: <laughs> Wait, did you love it or did your plants love it?
3: No, no, no. I loved it. I (laughs) was definitely just me. So, Um, but what I will say is that that's all part of the learning and the growth, right? And and when I was using those, when I was using um, House and Garden, I was I was creating a product that for the price point of what I was getting for it was great for the time being. So I was definitely you know just producing about a pound of light. I was definitely getting over five thousand dollars a pound on bulk products. It was completely different. It's just a different Mm -hmm. time. And for everyone that hasn't experienced that, I'm sorry for you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, actually, you should be happy. That that ruined too many people. You're, you're one of the few that went, this isn't gonna last.
3: No, I did not going last. And way, I yeah. watched it happen in Colorado and then came to California and immediately was like, we're watching every, you know, we're watching every talk, <laughs> you know, we're watching every input. So um, and 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 making sure that you're you're keeping the lights on. So it, it really is to be in it right now is like a labor of love. You really gotta be love weed to be in it.
4: Oh yeah. And, and be able to take that passion out of the garden, I think is a big yeah, thing so too, you too, you know, yeah, like, be sure. like, Hey, this isn't just about me
3: yeah. creating this it's special not, it's
4: product. Not, it's I'm building this whole enterprise around it.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really about your team and your people and how they're feeling about in their roles every single day. Oops. Exactly.
1: It. Well, friends, we went over a few minutes, but um, I mean, Anna Wiley founder and CEO of Cam. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks,
3: guys. Thanks for having me. Wow. I, really love, I, love, I love talking to you guys. Well, maybe you need to come back. My Arroyo family, my
1: favorite. <laughs> That's right. No, we are we are like thrilled to have you on. Grateful to have you as a client. Glad Arroyo is working for you and just really proud to hear about all your success. So keep it up. Um, huge part of that. Huge part of
3: it. I'm excited to see you guys at Hall of Flowers. Yes we'll be repping your gear. We love the product. We just, we, we, we can't say nicer things about the, about the uh, team
1: either. Jason, Seth, thank you. That means a lot. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. We had a lot of questions we couldn't get to. So we have not forgotten about you folks. We got you, we got you in the question bank. We're going to get to them next time. Mandy, thank you for holding it down with me as always. And of course, Seth and Jason. Thank you so much for for being the experts and so amazing on the show. So uh, thank you for everybody. Oh. And thank you to Chris, our producer. Who's thank hot. you, Chris. Hurry up and wrap this up. Um, <laughs> thank you all for joining us for this week's Arroyo Office Hours. We do this every Thursday. And the best way to get answers from the experts is to join us live. To learn more about Aroya, uh, get in touch with us. We'll send you, we'll get you a demo. And one of our experts will tell you about all the ways it can be used to improve your cultivation production process. Um, if there's a topic you'd like cover in a future episode of Office Hours, post questions anytime via the Arroya app, feel free to drop us a note at 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 metergroup.com, send us a DM over Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, social club. We are on all the socials. We want to hear from you and we record every session. So we will email everyone in attendance, a link to today's show. And it'll also live on the Arroyo YouTube channel, like, subscribe and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, spread the word. Thank you so much. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.
0: Office Hours Live is brought to you by Aroya. The ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroya.io.